The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast paced. It's like a good two minute drill. We are just boom, 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 right down the field. Opinionated. If they take the David Price savings and the Mookie Betts savings and pocket the money, it will have been a lie and the fan base will be furious. To the point. Cam is not that guy. He's not the kind of athlete that works in today's NFL for the most part. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome in everybody on a Monday. The Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. The first day of our fourth week. Continue to be grateful and appreciative of the response thus far. The uh, podcast numbers are huge. You all are doing a great job of spreading the word to each other among the community, and I am appreciative of that. Search for the Brady Farkas Show. You can get the full show podcast every single day right after the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and online at WDEVradio.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can. Just reach out to me on social media, on Twitter, at WDEV Radio Brady. That's at WDEV Radio Brady. Former Ravens Patriots wide receiver Kamar Aiken is going to join us in about 15 minutes, break down that big Patriots win over Baltimore. Spent seven years in the NFL, a couple of really good ones for Baltimore. Spent a little bit of time in New England. We'll get his perspective. Show, as always, brought to you by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. I got so much to get to on the Patriots today, and Kamar Aiken joins us again in about 15 minutes. A ton to break down New England's win. I want to start with this because there is no more important story locally than what the UVM University of Vermont announced this weekend. Here are the logistics. UVM is not going to have competition for winter sports until December 18th now. UVM men and women's hockey were scheduled to start this weekend. So now if you push back the start of their season a month, Men and women's hockey programs will lose multiple conference weekends inside Hockey East play. The administration says they're not looking to forfeit those games. They're looking to make them up during the season. UVM men's basketball is going to lose non-league games. The Bubbleville Tournament at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. A non-conference game against Siena. Some other things that were on the docket there. Looks like a conference-only schedule beginning December 19th for the men and women's basketball programs. Jeff Shulman, UVM Athletic Director, he spoke to the media at about 12.30 today. Here's what he said about the rationale behind the decision, Jeff Shulman, in his own words. From the beginning of of this pandemic, we've been working really closely with our own uh, campus health officials and more recently with the Vermont State Department of Health. And the focus has always been on on the well-being of our student-athletes and coaches and staff, um, as well as the campus and, and, and the broader community. Um, obviously, we've been following the significant increases in COVID cases here in Vermont. Uh, over the weekend, we, we met with President Garamella um, and uh, representatives from Vermont Health Department. Um, and it just, it just seemed pretty clear that, that given really the all-out effort that was going on around the state of Vermont to get back under control, that the most responsible thing we could do was to delay the start of our seasons. So Jeff Shulman says the administration felt, in conjunction with the Department of Health, the president of the university, the most responsible thing they could do was push back their seasons. I'm not here to tell you that UVM has made the wrong decision. Okay, and I want to make that very clear. I'm not here to tell you they have made the wrong decision. I'm not here to 
tell you the virus isn't real or that it isn't scary because in my personal opinion, it is real and it is scary. And the increasing case numbers are something to certainly be mindful of. And they are concerning to me personally. I'm not here to tell you that UVM made the wrong or the right decision. What I'm here to tell you, though, is that their decision doesn't make a lot of sense. In fact, it doesn't make any sense to me. And this is coming from someone who has been pretty COVID conservative all the way throughout. I'm not telling you it's wrong. I'm telling you that their decision doesn't make any sense. Here's why. UVM's ability to test was supposed to be the thing that kept Division I sports afloat. UVM has outlined protocols, three PCR tests a week inside Hockey East. I believe that was the case for also their winter athletes in basketball also. Testing was supposed – I've said from the start, I don't think Division Three sports are going to happen. I've said I don't think Norwich is going to play. Castleton, Middlebury's not. Plattsburgh's not in our area. I have not believed Division Three sports were going to play here for weeks. I have believed Division One sports would play and would succeed because of the ability to test, because of the financial – ability that UVM has and that its partners have to test, to test safely and to test often, I believe that that was going to be the thing that kept the seasons going and kept them afloat. Jeff Schulman said repeatedly during the course of this media briefing that he trusts the university's protocols. You trusted the protocols last week when schedules were coming out, when when trips were being finalized when you were announcing that the team is going to play in Bubbleville. The Hockey East schedule comes out last week. The protocols worked. This week you say you still believe in them, but now all of a sudden they're not good enough. Something doesn't add up here. Last week, the protocols, the ability to test, they were good enough to set up schedules, have schedules get released. To Two weeks ago we got the basketball schedule. It was all good enough then. He said repeatedly today, I trust these protocols still. And these are going to continue to be the same protocols that they use on December 18th. So why? What's something's not adding up here. You trusted the protocols before. You trust them now. You're going to use them in the future. But now all of a sudden it's, it's not good enough. I, something here is not adding up. He also said that the university wants to stay in line with the university's and the governor's wishes. Um, but obviously the, the, you know, the, the tone has changed in Vermont and, and the number of cases has grown significantly. And as I mentioned before, there's this really sort of statewide all out effort to, um, to mitigate the virus and to bring it back under control. And it's really important um, for lots of reasons that, that, uh, that our athletic department and our university are in alignment with, with the state and with the governor. That has me very confused. Again, something is not adding up here. Jeff Shulman, UVMAD, tells you we want to be in compliance with the governor's wishes and the state's wishes. Well, as the governor has rolled back recreational sports, as he has made guidelines for high school sports, he has explicitly said college sports are exempt from his edicts. Okay. And the reason why they are exempt is because they have the ability to test. And when you have the ability to test at the rate in which they will need to, they can overcome travel restrictions, the travel map, quarantine requirements. Okay, The governor has been conservative, in my estimation, in his approach to this. He has said college sports can play and they can get out of quarantine requirements and out of the travel map restrictions if they test enough. UVM has the ability to do that. So... 
that confuses me again. You're not he, you say you want to be in line with what the governor is saying, but the governor is saying that you can play if you do these things that you have the ability to do. Something here is not adding up. Okay. Let me play let me kind of ask the questions to myself. If this is about keeping the community safe, right? You don't want the athletes playing and college athletes going back and forth to other communities and new athletes coming in as their opponents. Okay, that's one thing. If this is about keeping the community safe, haven't they already done that? They've already closed the games to fans. Other places that they will play have already closed games to fans. They've already built both university and conference-wide testing protocols that have to be adhered to. In my estimation, the school and the leagues have done everything that they can to mitigate risk to the communities. If they're worried about athletes bringing the virus into other communities, either UVM traveling to their opponents or their opponents traveling here, aren't you're about to send hundreds of thousands of college kids home at Christmas break and at thing or I'm sorry, for the holiday break at Thanksgiving. You're supposed to send you're you're about to send hundreds of thousands of college students around the country home. There's going to be a huge influx of college students into new communities, way more than there are athletes going into new communities. So you're already going to see, in my opinion, all kinds of cross-state travel and people who don't adhere to quarantine rules or travel restrictions or whatever. And those th- those students that leave college campuses, they are going to need like one negative test when they leave and in some cases one negative test when they arrive. UVM athletes were getting tested three times a week. They're getting far more testing than the average college student who is about to just leave their college community. Again, I'm not here to tell you the decision is wrong. That is above my head. That is above my pay grade. I do not have to deal with things like liability, all of the above. Jeff Shulman and and the president of the university are in a far more difficult position than I am here just sitting and opining. What I'm telling you is that it just doesn't make sense. College athletes who get tested three times a week, I would argue, are the safest students on campus and the most tested students on campus and therefore probably the safest people to go back and forth to another community. Far safer than the, quote, regular students that are about to leave at the holiday break. It just doesn't make sense. It does not add up to me. I'm going to do something that I never do. Okay, and we need to have an honor system here. I'm going to do something that I never do. I'm going to open up the phone lines. I want to get to unpacking the Patriots before Kamar Aiken, but I want to open up the phone lines briefly. The phone number to the Brady Farkas show is this. It's 244-1777. 244-1777. Here's the rules. I'm the only one in here. I, I don't have anybody else answering their phones. It's just me. So if you're... Don't swear. That's my one. I don't want to get in trouble. If I open up the phones and somebody swears, then that's going to be bad news for me. So we're on the honor system here. If you want to talk about the UVM decision or you want to hit me up on social media, give a call 244-1777 or on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. Some people getting in right now on social media saying, Brady, I agree with you. The uh, It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense here given all the things that you said. Let's see. uh, Here's Matt. He goes, I get, quote, UVM makes no, let's see. 
I get it. UVM makes no sense take from a sports point of view, but it's all about optics. The governor asked Vermonters to avoid Thanksgiving with family. How can UVM go gleefully about having sports? Hard for regular Vermonters to schedule a COVID test, but sports teams get tested. Bad look. Matt, number one, those sports teams are getting tested no matter what. Those sports teams are getting tested anyways. Okay, Those student-athletes are getting tested three times a week. They're going to continue to practice. They're going to continue to get tested. They've been getting tested ever since they started workouts. So that is going to happen. Whether they play now or on December 18th, it's going to happen where those student-athletes are getting tested. And Dr. Mark Levine and the, the governor's team have said that they are making testing more accessible to other parts of the state. So the idea now that, oh, it's far easier for UVM athletes to get tested than it is for their, quote, regular population, I don't know that that's necessarily true. What the UVM athlete has at their disposal is that these things are happening on campus, whereas you and I have to kind of make some more time into our schedule and change some things and work around stuff, and it makes it a little more harder logistically. The UVM student-athlete has a logistical advantage given that it's right there for them and it's already built into their day. You and I have to go out of our way to get a test, and some of you have to deal with jobs with weird hours and with kids and where is it. But you can still get the test. Um, Your other point of view is, the governor asked Vermonters to avoid Thanksgiving with family. How can UVM go gleefully about having sports? Well, the governor also said that the reason why gyms can stay open, the reason why restaurants can stay open, the reason why your local supermarket can stay open is because the outbreaks are not happening there. The outbreaks are not happening in controlled environments. The outbreaks are happening when you and I just hang out together and don't social distance and don't wear masks, etc. That's what he is saying. At college sporting events where universities are being disinfected and professional cleaning crews are there and no fans are there and everyone is being tested negative, you're able to create that kind of environment that is thought to be safer than an environment where you and me and four other households hang out on Thanksgiving. Those are the governor's words, not mine. Again, though, I'm not here to tell you that it's wrong. I'm here you. I'm here to tell you that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Travis and Milton says on social media, I have said this forever. UVM doesn't care about athletics. They never have and never will invest in those programs like other universities do to make them better. UVM wants to be like an Ivy League school. No, I don't think that. I, I, I don't think that. I think that UVM is trying to... I think UVM is trying to do what they believe is the honorable thing. And kind of to Matt's point on the text line or on on Twitter is that they think the honorable thing to do is to align with the governor's message of safety and precaution. That is fine. But the governor has explicitly said that college sports can happen if they do these things. And UVM has the ability to do all of those things. So it doesn't make sense to me that last week, the protocol's good. The schedules are out. We're all pumped. Everything's safe. We're no fans. We've taken all the precautions. And now those things don't work anymore. And is there really a guarantee that they're going to work in a month? The numbers are getting worse now. All the forecasts have said they're going to continue to get worse. So what's going to change from a UVM standpoint logistically to make it safer to play in one month than this weekend? Again, 
I'm not telling you it's wrong. They have far more invested in this than I do when you talk about a liability in people's health. And I certainly do not envy the position of UVM administrators. But what I am telling you is if they're looking to keep people safe, I don't know what's going to look different in a month than right now. The communities that are, the, this community and other communities are about to get students going back into their home communities at a far greater rate than, than basketball teams or hockey teams are traveling. I think that the risk is greater from the general student body going home who doesn't get tested with the same frequency as UVM than UVM athletes or its conference constituents in Hockey East or America East. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, we will do unpacking the Patriots later in the show, but coming up, we're going to have Kamar Aiken. He spent time with the Ravens. He spent time with the Patriots. He's the host of a Ravens podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, seven years in the NFL. His take, Patriots with a big win last night, 23-17. We'll also continue to take your texts on UVM as well. So unpacking the Patriots, bumped to later, Kamar Aiken. He's coming up next on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back to the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Reacting to the Patriots' surprising upset 23-17 win over the Ravens. To break it down with us now is Kamar Aiken, spent seven years in the NFL, spent a little bit of time with the Patriots that we'll get to, but also led the Ravens in receiving a couple of seasons, helped play the Patriots in the playoffs for the Ravens. He's the host of the Believe in Ravens podcast. Kamar, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? Well, we're doing very well considering what the Patriots did last night. I guess overall your reaction to what you watched last night. Um, I would say big win for the Patriots, big loss for Baltimore uh, in in a lot of areas as far as injuries. Um, I feel like that was a, that was a big game they should have won. Um, just just seeing how New England – New England is not the New England that we know of right now. So I, I would say that, that was a disappointing loss for Baltimore. Take me through, as a guy who played wide receiver, a speed position, when the weather is happening like that, when it's raining in that way, what mm-hmm. are you? what's going through your mind on the field? What's happening to you? As a player, I'm saying run the ball and let's get up out of here as fast as we can. Get a win and get up out of here and get back home. Because as a receiver, you hate wet ball games because the ball comes out different. It's a lot more slick. Um, the expectations are still the same as far as you still have to go out there and do your job. But it's a, it's a harder task to do in the ball and the field slippery. You know, so Lamar had a decent enough game passing, right, 260 yards. The Patriots really don't pass at all well, and Cam only threw for, you know, mm-hmm. 120 yards. But both teams, their identity is running the football. In today's NFL, can that be your identity? Can you be a primary running team like both these teams are and have success? You can if your defense is, is a pretty good defense, a top five defense. And if you're going to do it, do that way and run the ball a lot, you have to do it uh, very efficient and, and be – one of the best to do it. You just can't be average at running it or good some days. It, it kind of be. It kind of has to be above average. From the Ravens' perspective, we heard a lot last week. I heard a lot of people making excuses for Lamar Jackson, saying he doesn't have great weapons on the outside. Do you think that that's true? No, I don't think that's true at all. I think he has great weapons on the outside. You look at Hollywood, who's a guy who came out of college that was was one of those elite type receivers, take the top off of defense, big play guy, and. 
I feel like for, for them right now, it's not just Lamar. I feel like it's play calling. Those coaches got to do a better job of putting um, Hollywood in better situations to, to make plays and, and to better use his skill set. I, I think they're doing a poor job of using their receivers to their, to their max and their best skill set. Kamari can join me here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, host of the Believe in Ravens podcast and the Believe Podcast Network, where I do the Patriots podcast um, with Doug Flutie. And, you know, you spent a little bit of time in Foxborough, right? So you were here for, you know, kind of bouncing between the practice squad and the active roster and then here part of an offseason, too. Even though it was limited, what was your overall experience playing for the Patriots? Um, they taught me how to be a pro, um, how to work, how to carry yourself, how to take care of your body. Um, they they kind of exposed all the areas that I kind of had uh, negatives and didn't take too serious. Um, so they kind of uh, opened my eyes to the NFL and kind of, uh, to be honest, gave me my foundation to, to go ahead and continue my career. Did you get a lot of experience or a lot of interaction with Belichick, with McDaniels, with Tom Brady? Does that happen for a guy who's in your situation? Uh, yes, because when I was there, they actually threw me in the lineup pretty quick. So I was actually in the rotation prior to uh, prior to me hurting my hamstring and getting injured. Injuries is, is what really threw me back on the depth chart in New England. But if it wasn't for injuries, I was pretty high on the depth chart and was pretty uh, involved in everything. We've heard famously forever about how Tom Brady's a great teammate and knows all his receivers' names real quickly and all this. What was your experience like with Brady specifically? Uh, same. Uh, first person that's going to greet you, first person that's going to talk to you. Um, he's easy to talk to, approachable. Um, for me, it was more like I played with a GM because he has that uh, aroma <laughs> of a GM. So it, it doesn't feel like you're just playing for a quarterback. Um, it, it almost feels like you're playing for upstairs at the same time. But at the same time, he, he just he, he's a great guy. He, he's not what people might think he is um, as far as the pre-Madonna, but he, he talks to you. He's, he's humble. Um, and yeah, he, he's, he's very approachable. You talk about the Patriots kind of giving you your foundation, and then subsequently you go to Baltimore and have a very good run there. I think 75 catches uh, mm-hmm. in, in one year there. As Patriot fans, we're waiting for Nikhil Harry to do something offensively, right? First-round pick last year, didn't even have a target last night. Mm-hmm. How long should we be giving him? Like you talk, you were a couple of years in the league before it really took off for you. How long do I give? Uh, how long of a runway do I give Harry? Um, I don't say you give him too, too long of a runway just because they're giving him the opportunities and you're out there. My situation was different. I wasn't presented those opportunities. I kind of had to wait for those opportunities to present themselves. But I feel like if you're getting those opportunities, you're getting the one in the number one and number two targets. I feel like it, it should be a little more. Um, I haven't been watching them to, to, to be honest, to, to really see exactly what their play calling is and how they're trying to use him. But, um, in the past, I've never seen New England, to be honest, use bigger body type receivers well in their system. Hmm. It's always been the smaller guys that that have been more efficient and more productive in their system. That's interesting that you say that. Why do you think that is? Because we've seen Edelman be successful for years, and Amendola and Welker, and now Jacoby Myers is the new one, right? Yeah. Five foot, five foot nine, but he always seems to know the spot. Why is it that smaller receivers are better in New England? Um, they use their passing game as rundown. So uh, tr- traditionally, most offenses, when they pass the ball, it's, hey, we're passing, trying to get a first down. They will pass the ball literally get to get three yards, five yards, because they're in their mindset, they're thinking, hey, this is a run play still. So even though it's a pass, it's still a run. We're still getting chunks of yards. So when you have an offense that uses receivers like that, you get the smaller guys, they get in those little tight windows, and you're able to dump off the 10-yard passes, the 15-yard, the you know, the little dump-off passes. So it, it just works better for their system and their mindset as far as when we pass, it's, it's like a run. 
Kamar Aiken with me here, Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. I'll get you out of here on two two kind of fun questions. Last night, the big play around the NFL was the Kyler Murray Hail Mary to DeAndre Hopkins. What's the, cra- what's the craziest play you've been a part of? Uh, I had a Hail Mary, too, versus Kansas City. <laughs> really? Okay, I forgot that one. I forgot that one then. We had a yeah, we we had Jimmy Jimmy Clausen was the quarterback. Um it was right before halftime and we held the we threw a Hail Mary. I literally looked at it um and I made everybody else run up ahead of me and I, I was like everybody's focused on the ball, they don't know where I'm at anymore. And I literally came in and just plucked it. So I would say that was probably a, a, a big moment. Cause you, you never you, you run Hail Marys, but the chances of you successfully completing that is, is very slim. So I, I would say that that was a big one. I think the I think the year was 2014. I think it's the year the Patriots went on to beat Seattle in the Super Bowl. But you played against New England in the playoffs for Baltimore, scored a touchdown. It was a shootout game. Patriots won 35-31. What were your memories of that playoff game going against New England, scoring a TD? What were your memories of that game? Um, we were up two touchdowns twice, and it never felt like it. <laughs> the The whole time we felt like uh, we were up two touchdowns. We actually had we were up two touchdowns. We had a possession, and we were telling ourselves, hey, if we can go ahead and get some type of points on the board, this game is over. And if we don't, we give Tom back the ball, we're in trouble. And that's exactly what happened. Like, he he erased 14 points like it was nothing. And we felt that in, in the huddle. We felt that in the stadium. It, it was just that persona, like, hey, 14 isn't enough. And and that's all I remember is how we were up 14 twice and still didn't come out with the winner. That's interesting that you say that because I've always thought that even – as good or better than just the Patriots themselves is the mystique of the Patriots. So you felt it on the sideline. Like it just didn't feel comfortable. Even when you're up two digits. It didn't feel comfortable. Usually you're up 14 against other teams. You feel, okay, we're up 14. We we can, we can either hold this league or potentially just win, win in this fashion. But with, when you're playing the New England, when it had Tom Brady, it was a difference because you know, 21 points isn't nothing for him. He can always come back. Um, in a hurry. So in our mindset, and that team was was super good, to be honest. They had Revis. They had a lot of guys that were super yeah. good. But for us to go up two touchdowns, and we went up two touchdowns comfortably. Like, it wasn't like we struggled to get the, the – to put the points on the board. But for them to answer back as fast as they did, like, they literally we, – we go up two touchdowns. They tie it up. We go back up two touchdowns. They tie it up. We get a chance to take the lead. We don't. Um, they take the lead. We still get another chance to tie the game at the end to take it into overtime, and we don't. So it's just that that Tom Brady effect, to be honest. <laughs> Kamar Aiken, seven years in the NFL, spent some time with the Patriots, top receiver for the Ravens, played the Patriots in the playoffs, hosted the Believe in, uh, Believe in Ravens podcast and the Believe Podcast Network. Kamar, man, thank you. We appreciate the time and perspective. We'll definitely do it again. I appreciate you guys for having me, too. All right, Kamar Aiken with us here. I actually taped that interview earlier today. So uh, if you subscribe to the podcast, right, the Brady Farkas Show podcast, you'll get the full conversation that we had. So Kamar and I spoke for about 15 minutes. You just heard nine of it, got some talk uh, from him. I'm playing with Joe Flacco, who the Patriots made look really good last week, some talk about uh, more on Lamar Jackson, et cetera. So uh, a lot of fun with Kamar Aiken again. You just heard the nine-minute interview. The full show or the full podcast version is available online on the Brady Farkas Show podcast. What we'll do is we'll get into – we'll take a break. We'll get an update from CBS News. Then we'll come back. We'll get the – uh, unpacking the Patriots, go through some of my biggest takeaways, and then we'll get through my biggest takeaways from the interview with Kamar Aiken, who uh, really 
in just that nine-minute version, said a lot of really, really interesting stuff. Patriots 23, Ravens 17, Pats on the fringe of the playoff conversation, yet again at 4-5. and five. Lots to break down, unpacking the Patriots, Kamar Aiken takeaways. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas show right here, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We'll get to our Kamar uh, Aiken takeaways in just a couple of minutes. I want to get to unpacking the Patriots. We do it every single Monday, and uh, usually at the beginning of the show, but today we went long on our UVM talk about postponing or delaying, rather, the winter season by a month until December 18th. So let's get to unpacking the Patriots first, then we'll have our Kamar Aiken takeaways coming up here uh, in just a couple of minutes. Unpacking the Patriots. Let's get a little classic music behind it. All right, takeaway number one, unpacking the Patriots, point number one. You win games in the NFL when you don't beat yourself. We have asked the Patriots to not beat themselves. In Tom Brady's world, the Patriots usually did not beat themselves. In Cam Newton's world, in Brian Hoyer's world, and Jared Stidham's world this year, They had been beating themselves. They did not do that yesterday, and that is where a win over a really good opponent on a really big stage and a really important game comes from. The Patriots didn't fumble it. They didn't throw it away. They didn't get picked off. They didn't turn it over on downs. Nothing. And it's been steady for them that they can win, even as as ugly as it looks sometimes, even as difficult as it looks sometimes. When they don't turn it over, they can win games. And look, they're 4-0 this year when they win the turnover battle. For as ugly as they've looked at times, they're 4-0 when they win the turnover battle. Baltimore, Lamar Jackson throws an interception at the end of the first half. There's their turnover. They turn it over on downs. Patriots don't turn it over once. They did not beat themselves because they did not turn it over. But then it also, you go even further into beating yourself and not beating yourself. And you see New England was even better as things went on. Okay, They only had three penalties. Baltimore had eight. Patriots took three penalties, less than 20 yards. Baltimore, eight penalties, nearly 70 yards. Big difference there. And then you talk about the weather. New England was prepared to play in bad weather. Baltimore looked like at times they weren't. Remember, two bad snaps, something we take for granted in games, is the ability of the center to hike the ball to the quarterback, whether it's under center or in the shotgun. We as fans take that for granted. In that weather, you should not have taken it for granted. Baltimore loses 27 yards on two bad snaps. One of them is a fourth down and one that they snap it backwards. Baltimore, for some reason, is inexplicably in the Wildcat, but it goes back 10 yards. Ravens turn it over on downs because of a poor snap. Then Baltimore driving in the fourth quarter. They're at their own 38-yard line. First and 10 goes over Lamar Jackson's head. Second down and 26 is the resulting play there. Baltimore not able to go down and win the game. Patriots don't turn it over. Now 4-0 when they don't when they win a turnover battle. They don't take many penalties yesterday. And they execute well in bad weather. They were ready to play in that weather. Patriots, look, it looked ugly at times, right, against Denver. It looked ugly at times against Buffalo. It looked ugly at times in a uh, in the loss against Kansas City, even though Cam didn't play. It's it looked ugly even in a win against the Jets. When they don't beat themselves. They have a chance to win some games. I don't know how it's going to look week to week, but they got a chance to win when they don't beat themselves. They did not beat themselves yesterday, last night, in primetime. 
gave Lamar Jackson, by the way, his first interception ever in primetime. He was 5-0, and I believe, in primetime in his career. Had never gotten picked off. Got picked off yesterday by J.C. Jackson. Moving on to number two. Oh, I see what happens. I got to turn the music down in order. Number two. There we go. Okay, so music's going to be off for a little while because I got some sound bites that I want to play. Number two, the Patriots have an identity now. They are a running football team. They are a Damian Harris, Rex Burkhead, sometimes Sony Michelle, but Cam Newton-led power football team. And Mike Tannenbaum, longtime NFL executive, former general manager of the Jets, he said so this morning on ESPN. But I think what New England's done is they found an identity, and it's Damian Harris, a very talented running back from Alabama. He gives them a pathway to win games consistently. They are a power running team. I'm done trying to make the Patriots look a certain way. They're, they're just not going to look like sometimes we want them to. And I'm as guilty of that as anybody. We all fall into this trance where the Rams look pretty and the Chiefs look pretty. And Seattle has the ability to look pretty. And they're all throwing it all over the yard. And they got big wide receivers. And it's 340 yards passing. And it's four touchdowns. And it's quick strike offense. All of that helps. I don't think the Patriots will win a Super Bowl this year playing like they're playing. I don't think they'll win a Super Bowl in the future playing like they play. However, for this season, 2020 the year has been weird enough that I'm not going to question it anymore. This is how they play. This is how they win games. And... When they don't turn it over and when they play capable defense and they run the football, that is how they can win. And it's not going to look like I want to. They're not going to win any style points. It is hard to go seven-minute drives. It is hard to go 14 plays, 75 yards. But you know what? That's what's working for them this season. And maybe instead of criticizing what they don't have or what they don't do, we should just recognize self-awareness and that they're leaning in to what they are. They run it 40 times yesterday, 170 yards rushing. Damian Harris goes for 120. Cam runs on quarterback power. The things that matter in football, the Patriots still did well yesterday. The rest of the stuff looks different than we wanted to. There were 6 and six of 12 on third and fourth down conversions, 50%. They didn't turn it over. They got four and a half yards of rush. They set up good and manageable field position for themselves. And by the way, Cam was in control. 13 of 18 overall, effective, efficient. No, it wasn't Mahomes. No, it wasn't Russell Wilson. No, it wasn't Aaron Rodgers. But he was in control. He was good against the Blitz. Cam went 9 of 12 against the Blitz. Second straight week, he's dominated against the Blitz. He knows what he's doing. He's in control. I'm done trying to get it to, to look a certain way. They've done what we asked them to do. They've come back from a deficit now two weeks in a row. Down 10 points twice against the Jets. Back from 7-0 down yesterday against the Ravens. They were back from 10-7. They got a lead. They held a lead. They sucked the life out of the football. They forced a turnover. They didn't beat themselves. It's not going to look like you wanted to. It's not going to look like I wanted to. But you know what? For two weeks, it's gotten them winning football. And winning football has gotten them back in to the edge of the playoff race. And if they can beat Houston at 5-5 five and five now, they're squarely in the thick of things in the AFC. Let's get to uh, last takeaway, number three. Number three. Defense did a good job. We have to give the defense some credit because it was gashed a couple of weeks in a row. Right? Didn't look great against Buffalo. Didn't look great. Um, couldn't tackle against Buffalo. Didn't look great against the Jets. 
J.C. Jackson and, and Jason McCourty were beat all over the yard on Monday night against New York. They come out on a short week in a second consecutive primetime game. J.C. Jackson gets his fifth straight game with a pick. They win despite Stephon Gilmore not playing again. They took away the deep ball. I mean, get, listen to this. Lamar Jackson was one of six for 18 yards on deep throws. One of six, 18 yards, deep throws. Interception. One of six with a pick on deep throws. Patriots gave up, Joe, allowed Joe Flacco to throw the ball all over their heads yet last week. This week, Lamar Jackson, everything's in front. And it's going to be long. If you're going to beat us, you're going to have to do it long, sustained drives. We're not allowing the big play this week. And they didn't. And they deserve some real credit for that. Defense hasn't looked great. They've had a lot of moving parts there. Haven't gotten a lot of pressure at times. Linebackers are very weak. DBs getting stretched thin with Gilmore not there. Kyle Duggar steps up and plays well after missing a couple of games. Jason McCourty has a bounce back game. Devin McCourty has a great has a good pass breakup, almost gets a pick. JC Jackson gets a pick. Patriots deserve some credit there. That's a very good win for the New England Patriots. And again, they are on the edge right now of the playoff conversation. I don't no, I don't have the guts to say they're going to make it. I do have the guts to say that they're interesting. They can beat Houston. That'd be five wins. They can beat the Chargers. That'd be six wins. That's six. They're going to see Miami again. They're going to see Buffalo again. They're going to see the Jets again. There's some chances to get wins there for New England that maybe we weren't, that we didn't think were there a couple of weeks ago. All right, let's get to the... Um, Let's get to our Kamar Aiken takeaways. Kamar Aiken, former Ravens wide receiver, former Patriots wide receiver. I asked him, Patriots ran the ball 40 times yesterday. They need to run the ball to win games. Can you win games in the NFL if the running game is what you do best? Can running be your identity? You can if your defense is is a pretty good defense, a top five defense. And if you're going to do it, do that way and run the ball a lot, you have to do it uh, very efficient and, and be one of the best to do it. You just can't be average at running it or good some days. It, it kind of be it kind of has to be above average. In this case, I agree with Kamar Aiken. It, it, it piggybacks and dovetails what I just said. I think you can be a running-based team. Not for the long term, right? You, you can't be... You can't never have a vertical threat. Like I, I will always maintain that the teams with some verticality and the team with some quick strike are are better off long-term. But for this year, everything's been so wacky, I think you can win being a run-first team who just sits on the ball and does a little bit like what Tennessee did last year. Right? Don't ask your quarterback to do too much power running game. Difference is, Tennessee did it with one guy in Derrick Henry. Patriots are doing it with three, four guys there. Um he says, Kamar Aiken says you need to be elite at it if you're going to do it. In this case, the Patriots are. They're third overall in rushing this year. They're second in rushing touchdowns. They're top 10 in yards per rush. They are an elite rushing offense this year. They got three guys with more than 250 rush yards. And people, I think people don't give them enough respect because they don't have an Ezekiel Elliott or they don't have a Christian McCaffrey or they don't have a Saquon Barkley. They don't have one guy who can dominate. But Damian Harris is running very hard. Sony Michelle has spurts where he looks like he can be something that at least helps. Rex Burkhead looks great at times. Cam can look great at times. 
they got a lot of different ways they can beat you on the ground, and they are utilizing them here. And it's hard to just go in and play bully ball in the NFL. Everybody's tough. Everybody's physical. Everybody's strong. New England right now has a physicality along their offensive line, a physical runner in Cam at the quarterback position and Harris at the running back position that they are playing bully ball on people. And if you can bully the Baltimore Ravens, you're doing something right. The Patriots are playing with an aggression now offensively that leads me to believe it is sustainable. And the whole league has gone one way, right? The whole league has gone to a passing offense. So when you have passing offenses filled with speed all over the field, well, how are defenses counteracting that? More defensive backs, quicker players, lighter players, players that can move. So if you've got quicker, lighter players scattered all over the defense, and I've got big-bodied offensive linemen and physical running backs that can wear on you, now I have the advantage in something. The Patriots don't have the advantage a whole lot when it comes to passing offense, but they have an advantage at the run game, and as the run game takes more prevalence, play action gets better. Cam, very good again on play action yesterday. And if more teams are going to stack the box, more one-on-one battles for Cam, more chances to win in the passing game where it's an easier one-on-one matchup rather than you know some intricate zone scheme where Cam's got to read coverage. If it's just, hey, my guy against your guy, Cam's been pretty good at that and been pretty efficient. Um, something else that Kamar Aiken said that was really interesting. So he played for the Ravens 2014 season. 2015 is the playoffs. Seattle and, and Patriots go on to meet in the Super Bowl. Patriots win the Mets the Malcolm Butler game. The first game, I think the divisional round of the playoffs, it was, yeah, the, for the first game of the Patriots for the play, uh, first game for the Patriots in that playoffs was against Baltimore. Baltimore gets up two touchdowns twice. Patriots come back and win. So that's in 2015. Patriots were the first team since 2003 to come back from two two touchdown deficits in the same game. And Kamar Aiken said, I was on the sideline and I knew, I knew that we weren't safe. Um, we were up two touchdowns twice and it never felt like it. <laughs> the, the whole time we felt like uh, we were up two touchdowns. We actually had, we were up two touchdowns. We had a possession and we were telling ourselves, hey, if we can go ahead and get some type of points on the board, this game is over. And if we don't, we give Tom back the ball, we're in trouble. And that's exactly what happened. Like he he erased 14 points like it was nothing. And we felt that in, in the huddle, we felt that in the stadium, it, it was just that persona like, hey, 14 isn't enough. And and that's all I remember is how we were up 14 twice and still didn't come out with the win. The Ravens and Kamari can felt like we're up two touchdowns and this lead doesn't feel safe. More so than just how good Brady is – and just how good the Patriots were with him and with Belichick, more so than just their skill, there was a cloak of invincibility around Tom Brady and the Patriots that you just felt like good things would happen if you were a Patriot fan or bad things would happen if you were a Patriots opponent. It's very much like old Yankee Stadium. I used to go to old Yankee Stadium, and I'm not a Yankees fan. And when I would go there, I was there in October for the playoffs, and you could just see the ghosts were coming out. Wind was swirling. You felt Yankee energy there. You felt like bad things were going to happen. The crowd was going to get loud. They were going to get into it, and something bad was going to happen to your team. 
And if you were a Yankee, you felt like something good was going to happen. That is what the, the mystique was around Tom Brady and the Patriots. And that's been one of the biggest things missing from this season is that teams haven't been afraid of the Patriots. No crowd, right? No crowd being there to get into it certainly has hurt them at home and hurt all teams. But not having that mystique, having that mystique gone has hurt New England. Because more so than just how good the Patriots are, how good they were, that mystique was there. And, and Kamar Aiken's telling you, it made us fearful. We did not trust that we could hold this lead because you knew Brady was on the other side and you knew that he was always capable of coming back. And it seeps into your head. We've talked a lot about this. Sports psychology, Cam Newton stuff. Negative thoughts breed negative results. Positive thoughts breed positive results. Brady, the fans, the mystique, the aura, it all led to positive thoughts and usually positive outcomes. Kamar Aiken, Ravens, now we're tight, now we're nervous, now we're scared, and boom, it all comes true and we lose. And it's not a coincidence. Teams this year haven't been scared of the Patriots in that way. Patriots had a chance to win in Seattle last second, couldn't. Patriots had a chance to win against Denver last second, couldn't. Patriots had a chance to win in Buffalo last second, couldn't. Now, it's not all on Cam, of course, but do you think Brady loses all three of those games? Don't you think Brady goes at least 2-1 and one or 3-0? and oh? In addition to Brady being good, in addition to Brady being in total control of the offense, there was a feeling from the opponent that Brady was going to win, that Brady wasn't going to let his team lose. Cam hasn't had that yet. The cloak of invincibility is gone. If the Patriots win two of those three games that I just mentioned, they're 6-3. and three. They're 6-3, and three, and now they're in the driver's seat for a playoff position. And that's how close the NFL is where those three games, all losing in the final seconds, lead the Patriots to have three more losses. Brady wouldn't have lost all three of those games. That's been the biggest difference between Brady and Cam is the aura and the mystique is not there. And teams don't fear those late-game situations in the way that they once did. Brady Farkas show right here on uh, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Uh, when we come back, we'll look at the locks. Hint, hint. They were about as good as Drew Locke, which is not very good. And then we'll get into our daily dose of Doug as we uh, hear from Flutie as well. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV. Every Friday, Brady gives you his locks for the weekend. Is he moving to the high rent district or is he headed to the outhouse? We look at the locks now on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Yeah, this week I'm headed to the outhouse. So when I started this show, I thought about... Oh, what can I do for this lock segment? I was like, ah, you know, everybody's doing gambling. Everybody's doing fantasy. So I wanted to kind of stay away from that. So I decided to be a little bit bolder. And it's it's um, going against me right now. 0-3 on Friday. Although I was so close with my bold predictions to be in 2-1. and So I, here we go. We go through the locks. Here's what I said. I said that Buffalo would win outright against the Cardinals. And they lose on the epic Hail Mary from Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins. Here is how it sounded at the end of the game. I was this close to winning. Bills were up 30-26, to 26, seconds remaining. Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins here. Murray back to throw, flushed out, rolling left in trouble, slips a tackle, got to launch it. He does. Left side, into the end zone, jump ball, and it is. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh, my goodness, it's caught. DeAndre Hopkins caught it. He caught it for a touchdown with one second left. I can't believe it. You've got to be joking me. Hopkins 
reaches up with three defenders around him and pulls it in, and the Cardinals lead it 32-30 to with a second lap. I mean, it's a phenomenal catch. Cardinals go on to win the game. The Bills were up 23-9 to in that game and up 26-23 with less than five seconds to play. That Hail Mary showing you how improbable it is, it was the first game-winning Hail Mary since 2015. Like, these things just don't happen, and the Bills found a way to Bills it and make it happen. I was that close to winning. After what I I was so convinced the Bills were going to win based on what I saw last week against Seattle. And now what Seattle's showing us is they're not as good as their um, initial record indicated, right? So they're 6-3 and three now. But Buffalo gashed them for like 500 yards of total offense. And the Bills came out on Sunday against Arizona and looked great. Josh Allen, trick play. He catches a touchdown. They, they're out to a 23-9 victory and then, or lead. And then all of a sudden, Kyler Murray just zoom, 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 roadrunners all around the field. And the Cardinals are able to come back and get control of the game. Buffalo comes back, takes a lead. And then the Cardinals go and do that. So the Bills had that game won. And it's a huge loss for the Bills, by the way, because they've opened up the door now for the Dolphins. They've lightly left open the door for the Patriots. The Dolphins are 6-3. and three. They're on a roll now since they made the quarterback change to Tua. Patriots have won two straight. So while I would say the Patriots are still not going to catch the Bills, the Dolphins are right there with Buffalo. And those two teams are going to meet again too. Bills, that is a critical loss for them, and it's a critical win for Arizona because now there's, there's a log jam where I believe all three teams in the NFC West are at 6-3, and three, Seattle, the Rams, and Arizona. And Seattle and Arizona are going to play on Thursday night football in a quick turnaround for both teams. That's a massive win for Arizona. Keeps their divisional hopes alive. Arizona and Miami both just won five games last year. They each have six. They're each 6-3 and three so far this year. Brian Flores, Cliff Kingsbury, some quarterback play, some rebuilding process going on in both spots. The big move to go get Hopkins helps Arizona. The big move to trade away Minka Fitzpatrick for Miami to go and get some cap relief and also get some uh, get some draft picks. The, the process is working for those two teams. My number two lock, which missed, was I said that Golden Tate of the Giants would have his season high in catches. He only needed six to get that. He didn't. Uh, he finished with two. He was targeted more. He had a huge catch along the sideline. He was targeted one on an errant throw from Daniel Jones, but like the Giants won, and Tate was a part of that. He wasn't as big a part of it as I thought that he was going to be, but he was there. He was present. The Giants get a huge win, and now all of a sudden they're in. As sad as it is to say, at 3-7, and seven, they are right now in a position for a playoff berth as well. The Eagles are 3-5-1. and one. They're tied in first, tied for first place with the Giants in terms of the win column. They're ahead of the Giants in the loss column, but the Giants hold the tiebreaker. Joe Judge deserves to be, really does deserve to be commended for the program that he's building, and Golden Tate deserves to be commended for the attitude adjustment that he went through. It didn't translate to a huge, massive um, statistical performance, but he was there and he was part of that win. My number three lock was I said that Jacoby Myers was going to lead both the Ravens and Patriots in catches yesterday on the heels of his 12-catch performance against uh, against the Jets. I thought he was going to come out and lead him again, and he didn't. He, he had five catches. The leader had seven, and Willie Sneed had six also, so he was third. It was kind of the opposite game script that I was expecting, right? Like I expected the Ravens to get the lead, the Patriots to have to go to pass mode, and Myers to get a lot of catches that way. 
Patriots had the lead. They held the lead. They ran the football, and the Ravens were the ones that were forced to uh, forced to throw the football late. And you know, even though the weather was bad, the Ravens had to take some chances at it. So Mark Andrews, Willie Sneed, they had more catches. Myers led the Patriots clearly with five. But by the way, he Demir Bird and Nikhil Harry had no catches and had no targets yesterday. Demir Bird, Nikhil Harry, zero targets yesterday. Jacoby Myers had five catches. Hey, Myers is playing great. They got to get something from somebody else, though. Now let's get to uh, Flutie, right? Daily dose of Doug Flutie. I talked to Flutie a couple times a week. We're going to be taping our newest podcast. It's going to come out uh, on uh, Wednesday, so looking forward to talking to him. I'm going to talk to him tomorrow, and uh, we do it every single day, a Daily Dose of Doug. So Brady does a podcast with former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Doug is a lot more famous than Brady. Flutie flushed, throws it down, caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. Doug is a lot smarter than Brady. So much in football is the guys surrounding you. Your success is dependent on the guys on the field and that team. So let's listen to Doug. It's your daily dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, Daily Dose of Doug. Remember, you can find me and Flutie. We do the Believe in Patriots podcast. You can find it on the Believe Podcast Network, B-L-E-A-V. So we bring some of that podcast here every single day. So Cam Newton, 9 of 12 for 103 yards and a touchdown against the Blitz. 9 of 12, 103 yards and a touchdown against the Blitz. So I talked with Flutie about the idea of beating the Blitz and how you beat the Blitz and what it takes to beat the Blitz. Here's what Flutie said that he looks for when an opponent blitzes. And I think if you take the philosophy of I just want a completion, you can be a high percentage guy and all you need to do, they're going to have some separation on those outbreaking routes and they'll break a tackle and they'll go the 80 yards. So that was always my, what I gravitated to was let's go higher percentage and the receivers are good enough athletes that they're going to make it a big play, and, and they will. So a couple of things there, right? The, first off, what I love is Flu, Flutie says, you know, Cam goes 9 of 12 against the Blitz. He was really good last week against the Jets too. Cam's in control. He doesn't look scared. He doesn't have happy feet. He's willing to stand in there, and he's willing to let a play develop. The goal of the Blitz, right, there's a couple of goals. Do you want to get the sack? Of course. Do you want to force the fumble? Of course. But really, all you're trying to do is disrupt timing. Make a guy get rid of it just a hair earlier than he wants to before a route has a chance to develop or before a receiver can turn around or a receiver's timing is thrown off. That's the main goal of a blitz. So Cam's willing to hold the ball as long as he needs to to allow things to develop. And Doug says, look, High percentage passes are fine. Four-yard dump-off, seven-yard dump-off. you got to trust that your receiver will make something happen. Right now, the Patriots don't necessarily have those guys, and okay, and they need them. They don't have a Tyreek Hill. They don't have an Antonio Brown. They don't have a game-breaker at wide receiver. They have guys who catch eight-yard passes and get tackled at 10. But Cam knows what he's got. He sees what he's got. He stands in with confidence, and he delivers a ball on time and then just gives his receiver a chance to make a play. And if he does, great. And if he doesn't, then fine. But Cam's not feeling any pressure to try to do more than he's capable of doing. He's also not leaving the pocket too early out of fear. He's not just saying, okay, it's not there right away. I'm going to just take off. And I don't know that Cam would have done that earlier in his career, but Cam was more of a runner at, at, at you know eight years ago. 
Now he's he is maturing as a quarterback. And again, I'm done trying to make it look a certain way. Other quarterbacks, they see the blitz, they just run backwards a couple of yards and they just heave it deep and they use arm strength. Cam's not that guy. But what he can do is be cerebral enough to hold back a little bit, let the blitz come, stand in, deliver a quick strike, a high efficient or a high uh, percentage efficient pass to a receiver and allow them to try to make a play. And if they do, they do. And if not, then that's where it becomes what we saw forever, death by a thousand cuts. Cam Newton, 9 of 12 against the Blitz, more than 100 yards. He's in control. And the the self-awareness and the discipline to stay in the pocket and just trust your receivers and backs to make a play, that's, uh, that's very, very commendable. Number two here with Flutie is... I hope we can be done with the idea of the Patriots tanking. They're four and five. They're too good to finish in the top two of the draft. So we don't need to hear about Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields for them anymore. They still might try to trade up later. They still could get a quarterback at some point during this draft. They need a quarterback at some point during this draft, but hopefully the idea of tanking is done for them. And Flutie very, very upset with the idea of tanking. He says as a former player, that's garbage. He doesn't want to hear it. You're fighting for, if you're not in the hunt, you're in the hunt for a job. You're right. still, this is your livelihood. This is who you are. This is your character. You're on, every time you walk on the film, you are on tape. You are on film. And it's an ins- insult to a player to even bring that up. It's an insult to a player to bring it up. And Doug says that because he's a former player. And it makes sense. I have never thought that the Patriots were tanking, right? I never thought that organizationally they were tanking. What I thought was that the Patriots were unprepared in the wake of Tom Brady's departure. They weren't ready for Brady to leave. They didn't have a proper game plan. They didn't handle the draft all that well. They didn't handle free agency particularly well. They didn't identify what direction they were going in particularly well. But I don't believe that they tanked. I just think they truly weren't expecting him to really leave and then didn't quite know what to do. But even if an organization is tanking, it doesn't mean the players are tanking. Okay, Players go out, like Doug said, and they play as hard as they possibly can. They're on film. They fight for starting jobs. They fight for contracts. They fight for endorsements. They fight for job security. They fight to, uh, to impress another team somewhere in the future. Everything they do is important to them. Players don't tank. Organizations put teams in positions to make it hard for them to win. They cut guys. They trade guys away for draft picks. They hold back healthy players on and keep them out on the injury report. I had wondered at a point if the Patriots were not tanking, but, you know, Stephon Gilmore has been out four games in a row now or whatever. If they were 6-3 and three instead of 4-5, and five, would he be playing? I don't know. But those are the things that I started to wonder. Hey, if they were winning, I think things would be different. So players never tank. It's an organizational philosophy to just make it harder for them to win. That's what happens. Players never tank, though. Agree with Doug 100% there. Um, All right, we'll have more Flutie tomorrow. We do them every single day, Daily Dose of Doug Flutie. You can catch the podcast, the Believe in Patriots podcast. Uh, Let's get to some crazy Twitter takes, though, here on this Monday. The Internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The Internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The yeah. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm 
taking crazy pills! NBA draft's coming up on Wednesday, and there's a lot of speculation for the Celtics as to what's going to happen with Gordon Hayward. And we've talked about it on this show too, right? He can opt in for $30 million. He can opt out. He can resign with the Celtics. He can get traded. There's a lot of different things that can happen. An Eastern Conference executive, this came from something I saw on Twitter, an Eastern Conference executive, I think Hayward feels betrayed with his role in Boston. Really? I think Hayward feels betrayed with his role in Boston. That is, Gordon Hayward is smart. Being betrayed implies that you went there with an expectation of something and you were lied to, right? I was told that I was going to get to do a show, but as soon as I signed here, they didn't let me have a show. That's betrayal. I was told that this job was going to pay $100,000 and they're giving me $20,000. That's lying. That's betrayal. Gordon Hayward's in this circumstance because of just that. Circumstance. Unfortunate circumstances. Injury did this to Gordon Hayward. Injury sapped Gordon Hayward of his ability to be this team's best player. He came here to play with Isaiah Thomas. Then they went and acquired Kyrie Irving. Circumstance there would have changed his role a bit. But then when he gets hurt and he's out for the entire season, now it's the Kyrie show. And then Hayward's not the same the next year. And Jalen Brown's there. And Jason Tatum's there. And and because Hayward was out in their rookie year, well, in Tatum's rookie year, he gets a lot more experience than he ever should have gotten. Brown plays a lot more than he should have gotten. Next year, when Hayward's rehabbing and not the same, those guys are getting better. Marcus Smart's developing more of an offensive game. Then Kyrie's gone. They go get Kemba, and Kemba's a different player. And then Hayward gets hurt again this year. He hurt his, uh, got hurt in the bubble. Couldn't be as big a part of the playoffs. Hurt his hand in a game against uh, Utah, I believe, where he was playing really, really well. Out for a month and change. Gordon Hayward's in this circumstance. Look, I get it. He might want to be the guy. And he thinks he's being paid to be the guy. And he is. But he's not the guy, not because they lied to him, but because everything around him changed. He went there with the expectation that he was the focal point. And he probably would have been the focal point if not for one of the most horrific ankle injuries you've ever seen that sapped him of essentially two seasons of his career in his prime. Hayward gets hurt. Kyrie takes over. Tatum plays more than he should. Brown plays more than he should. They get really good. The next year, Hayward's not the same. Tatum, Brown, even more. More experience. Kyrie's still there taking over. Then you trade Kyrie. Hayward's back. And now everybody's kind of trying to re-solidify their role. And Kemba's a different player who plays well with those guys and is a facilitator. And Hayward gets hurt more. It's one thing if Hayward wants to leave. It's another. It's one thing if he thinks he deserves a bigger role. It's another thing, though, to sit here and say that he feels betrayed. I, I would hope that Gordon Hayward has the self awareness to not say that because I think Hayward's far too smart to say that he feels betrayed sure maybe he had a different expectation of his tenure in Boston but that's all centered on his own health rather than it is anything the organization might have promised him and then subsequently taken away from him that's when you get betrayed when you're promised something that then gets subsequently taken away from you. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We'll finish out the show with who's saying what and more closing thoughts on the UVM decision to delay winter sports until December 18th. That's all next right here on WDEV. 
Whoa, 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 what did he say? The passing game was atrocious today. This passing game is in big time trouble. They really said that? The Patriots, they're an average offense. If you cannot be explosive on offense, you cannot hang in the NFL. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Just like the promo said, so uh, let's get to Who's Saying What. Giants with that win. You know I'm a Daniel Jones fan. I said I would take Daniel Jones on the Patriots. You know who else is a Daniel Jones fan? Mike Greenberg, ESPN Radio. I believe Daniel Jones is a quarterback. I think they've got it. I think they've got him. If they find themselves in a position to trade back, they should. I don't think they will because there's only two quarterbacks in this draft people will kill themselves for, and the Giants are going to be pick, not going to be picking high enough to get either one. But my hashtag KOD is for their quarterback because I think he's good. I think they have a quarterback. I think the Giants have a quarterback too. He is good. He's tough. He's gritty. He plays with an even keel. He's not emotional. That's good for New York. Why did Eli Manning star in New York? Why did they think Sam Darnold was going to star? Because they have an even-keeled temperament. They don't get too high. They don't get too low. They're not there for – everybody makes fun of the mopey Eli face or Daniel Jones being Eli Manning 2.0. That works in New York. Boring superstar works in New York. Guy who's not going to be out on the town until 3 a.m. That works in New York. Okay, Guy who's going to put his head down, study the playbook, and make generally good decisions. That works in New York. Daniel Jones does that. He's a guy I think Joe Judge likes, respects, and can build around. He's a dual-threat quarterback who's not afraid. We've seen Daniel Jones show his toughness time and time again, whether it's his willingness to simply run with the football or his willingness to stay in and take hits when he had a bad offensive line and no weapons and take hit after hit after hit and still deliver the football. He has shown a toughness that you cannot teach. The problem with Daniel Jones has been that he's always tried to do too much, that he has turned it over, that he has thrown balls that he shouldn't throw, and it has resulted in fumbles, interceptions. If he can harness that like he has the last two weeks, he can be extremely good. He's No turnovers last two weeks for Daniel Jones. It's not a coincidence that they're 2-0. He doesn't turn the football over. They win. He's got a toughness, and his guys like him. Sterling Shepard likes him. Darius Slayton likes him. His receivers like him. His head coach has his back. And this team is playing a whole lot better now the last several weeks. They're 3-7. and seven. They're in the mix now for, sadly, a playoff spot in the NFC East. But Daniel Jones is part of the solution in New York. He's not part of the problem there. And I appreciate that Greeny uh, said that. I mean, think about it. He was 7-9. of nine throwing the ball down the field yesterday. Ten or more yards down the field, he was 7 of 9. So he throws the ball with conviction down the field. He also is continuing to develop in that smartness, right, that sense to get rid of the ball quickly, not try to do too much. Because where Daniel Jones gets in problems is he tries to extend plays that shouldn't be extended and bad things happen. Yesterday, he got rid of the ball in like 2.3 seconds or less. That was the best rate of his career. Got the ball, got the snap, got rid of it. Decisive, decision-making, get the ball in the playmaker's hands. When you throw it down the field, know where you're going with it, boom, 7 of 9. He ran well, he threw it well, he was decisive. Daniel Jones is a quarterback. The New York Giants, now it won't come to it. I'm glad that they're not going to finish with the two-pick in the draft because if they had the two-pick in the draft, I didn't want to see them take Justin Fields. 
I want them to keep Daniel Jones. I want them to build around Daniel Jones, and I want them to continue to fortify their team around Daniel Jones, and they can do that. Okay, continue to build up the defense. They went out and got James Bradbury this year to help in the secondary. He's He was great yesterday. They go and draft McKenzie. They got uh, Jabril Peppers in the secondary. Secondary's got some pieces. Build up the linebackers, get a pass rush, and now all of a sudden you've got you've got some pieces here that are really, really building. You've got some real momentum. Daniel Jones can play. Mike Greenberg is right. All right, let's get back to the UVM uh, discussion here. Closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. All right, my closing thoughts are this. UVM Athletics, if you missed any of it, UVM Athletics has delayed the start of their winter sports season in terms of competition. Teams can still practice. They cannot play games until December 18th. Here is Athletic Director Jeff Shulman in his own words. From the beginning of of this pandemic, we've been working really closely with our own uh, campus health officials and more recently with the Vermont State Department of Health. And the focus has always been on on the well-being of our student-athletes and coaches and staff. as well as the campus and, and, and the broader community. Um, obviously, we've been following the significant increases in COVID cases here in Vermont. Uh, over the weekend, we, we met with President Garamella um, and uh, representatives from Vermont Health Department. Um, and it just it just seemed pretty clear that, that given really the all-out effort that was going on around the state of Vermont to back under control that the most responsible thing we could do was to delay the start of our seasons okay as i said at the beginning of the show i'm going to reiterate it now i'm not here to tell you that the decision is wrong i'm not here to tell you that again jeff shulman the president of the university they deal with real life things like liability i do not i'm just asking questions but my question i'm asking here is this is it ever going to be good enough for UVM athletics to get going? Is the situation ever going to be, is it ever going to be good enough to see UVM athletics confidently? Because here, here's, here's the number numbers. Vermont has the lowest infection rate in the country. It has the lowest death rate in the country. If that's not good enough, what is UVM athletics waiting for? Are they waiting for no cases? Are they waiting for, even fewer cases than we've seen. What What's the number that UVM or that Vermont has to hit? Because I'm looking at the numbers right now. This came out from VT Digger just minutes ago. The University of Vermont announced its highest one-week total of cases last week, 35 people. Okay, 35 people in the last week contracted COVID-19 at Vermont. It translates to a .25 positivity rate in tests. Okay. 0.25 positivity rate. That's lower than the state, and that's lower than the nation. So while the state, yes, is going up, and while that is very, very worrisome for people, UVM has still contained, is still continuing to contain the virus. Again, I'm not telling you it's wrong. I'm just asking the question and telling you it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. When are we going? What is good enough to play sports at UVM? Do you really trust that it's going to magically be better in 30 days and that it's going to remain better for three months throughout the worst part of the winter? Do we really trust that? 
if it's not good enough to start men's and women's ice hockey now, is it going to be good enough to start men and women's ice hockey on December 18th and then play into January 18th and February 18th and March 18th when it gets colder and more people are naturally getting sick anyways? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm trying to figure out. And then even if it gets better in Vermont, even if it gets better in Vermont, you still have to trust that it gets better in all the surrounding states that UVM would play in or would people would come here from you know to play UVM, Connecticut. New York, Massachusetts, Maine, Maryland, New Jersey, all of those places, Vermont has to get better and be, quote, safer. And then all of those places also have to be, quote, safer and get better. And again, for the 174th time today, I'm not telling you it's wrong. I'm just telling you it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's inconsistent. Last week, UVM had protocol that they trusted. Jeff Shulman says we have protocol that we trust now still. We're going to use this protocol moving forward. Well, if it was good enough a week ago and you felt good about it still today and you're going to use it moving forward, then what what is different here? I, I don't I just don't understand. It's I mean are there people on campus applying pressure to UVM athletics? I don't know that that's the case. Okay, are there people on campus that don't value athletics? I would hope that's not the case because the money brought in usually from ticket sales, merchandise, and the NCAA championships is a pretty big deal to universities, and most universities rely on that athletic money. I'm not saying that you know, just that, that money drives this, but there should be people on campus that at least value the importance of athletics when you make a decision like this. It just doesn't make sense to me why this is announced now. And by the way, you go through the whole process of the offseason – you let the Hockey East schedule come out. You let the America East basketball schedule out. And then you pull the plug. And now the, the, the legitimacy of the league's schedule is compromised. Um, it's a delicate conversation. It's a nuanced conversation. And it's a conversation without, without an easy answer. But there's one thing that I do know. That where UVM was a week ago and where UVM now it doesn't make sense just how we got here. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Brady Farkas podcast available, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and online. Again, Brady Farkas Show. Search for it. We'll be back tomorrow, everybody, right here on WDEV.